I want a remote first HR service on Slack that tells me a few things. I want to know my summary of hours. I want to know milestones. Hey, so-and-so, their one-year anniversary is coming up. Their birthday is coming up. Because there's a lot of great HR software out there. But I want it built into my workflow and built into Slack because Slack is our office. Slack is our lobby. It is our conference rooms. And it's kind of like that office HR admin. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? Today on the podcast, we're doing something a little different. First, we're giving up an update on the $3 million challenge that we're running. But then we get into startups that caught our attention, trends that got our attention, And if we were starting today, some half-baked companies, we would build around that. So if you think they're great ideas, go ahead and start them and feel free to throw us a little bit of equity. Um, And then at the very, actually towards the middle, actually, we were kind of thinking about doing an open call to find a CEO for one of the portfolio companies we've started that's gotten some traction. So if you think you got the stuff, hit us up uh, on Twitter um, or send us an email, but really hope you enjoy today's episode. All right. This month, we are doing our update on the $3 million challenge. We have some other things we're going to get into on the podcast. We're trying something new where we're going to talk about either interesting startup ideas that we've we've hatched or interesting companies that has they've gotten our attention for one reason or another. But I've got Jonathan on the podcast. I informed him seven minutes ago of this new framework. So we'll see how it goes. But Jonathan, what's up, man? Hey, Jim. Excited to get back into it. So yeah, let's dive in. Yeah, we also just did a hour and a half long strategy session. So we'll we'll still bring the energy, but but yeah, that 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 was a lot. But I think I think we'll be okay. So the three million dollar challenge for people that don't know, we we have a growth marketing agency. We're like, hey, if we're such a good growth team, why can't we grow our own stuff? So we we have a startup studio and we have launched one company called One Day Design. The goal is to get that to a million dollars. We're launching another company. It's a direct-to-consumer brand. We're hoping to get that to a million dollars. And then we have an agency called Growth It, which we, we have gotten that to, to seven figures. And we're documenting what we're doing with these companies and how we're trying to grow a DTC brand, how we're trying to grow this productized service. And Jonathan came out real hot two months ago saying that we would do 30 grand in the first month with one day design. We reported last month and it was five grand. So we did we did not hit it, but at least we made a dollar. I'll be honest, like taking an idea and making anything is is worth a, a victory lap. But what we can do is we'll we'll give an update on one day design. We'll start with one day design where we're at. So Jonathan, do you know how much money we've made with one day design since it started? I don't know the total, but if I had to guess, I would say close to 20K. 
20k yeah roughly actually we crossed thirty thousand dollars with one day wow. design so we, yeah we're in the five figure club no big deal that's only one comma not three commas but or trace commas and <laughs> we actually just had someone that wants to go to our our package that's 8k a month so we're riding a high right now so that's where we're at I think it could be interesting to give an update on some things that have happened since we talked last and things we've learned. So one call out is we're really testing, not just doing design of websites in one day, but also development. And what's magical about that is what Jonathan and I care about is making something that's sticky, that has good retention, where they use us month in and month out. And when we start doing dev for companies, they really look at us as trusted partners and want to work with us, hopefully for the long haul. And so far, we're seeing that that makes us a little bit stickier. And so the, the client that just signed on also wants to do dev. So that could be nice. One, not issue, but it's not even churn, but people are like, oh yeah, help me like redesign this page. They'd use us and then they'd kind of leave. So they were happy with the design, but it wasn't sticky. And that's that's not the goal of this. It's really retention. At least I think it is. I could be wrong. Maybe we should be in the acquisition business, but I care more about retention. But well, what are your thoughts on that, Yonathan? As we're testing pricing and packaging, because you and I have many calls where we stare at our pricing section of our page and we just go round and round on what to do and not to do. You know, <clears throat> I think the one thing we haven't nailed down and I think we actually might have a decent sample size now where we can make the, you know, the do the analysis is what kind of client at what stage would really need our services? Where, what kind of client would look at our offering and say, we need you guys and we will not only use you without, you know, blinking and pay the entire cost, but also use you for the long-term. We've had a few clients that already have sustainable businesses and it makes sense for them to leverage us because we're a one-stop shop for conversion-focused design that gets turned around super fast, but also the dev, as you said. And I think that's that's our sweet spot. But as we could move, you know, down, you know, downstream, or should I say down market to early stage companies that don't necessarily have the budget, where the bootstrap founder has to cover the expenses out of pocket, it stings too much. So they're trying to get as much as they can out of us, especially with our ridiculous value prop of one day turnarounds, and then leave from the first opportunity they get. So I think it's it's us finding those companies that need our services. Now, it could be an industry. It could be a size. We still have to figure that out. But once we do and we crack it, then we could really invest in, in even uh, marketing a one-day design in a very targeted way to get more of those types of customers. But I think that's that's the next big phase on the horizon. Yeah, it's like we add a lot of value to the early stage bootstrap startups, but not great for retention. Whereas some of the clients we're seeing, one on Shopify, one on WordPress, they're established. It's like we could choose it based on tech stack, could choose it based on business model. But I, I agree. I really want to niche down, but I want to get a, the right sample size before we make that decision. Maybe that's a cop-out, but but I still want to learn before we, we kind of commit. So do we want to talk about the product hunt launch that was scheduled and then not scheduled because of a, a certain call that we had? Should we get into that? Yeah, absolutely. That's been postponed indefinitely, it feels like. <laughs> yeah. So we're, we're a big fan of let's find people significantly smarter than us or experts in their realm and try to learn from them. And there's this guy, Chris Messina, who is the top 
product hunt hunter. He has a massive following and he will do a call for you for $4.99 to talk about how to launch your product on product hunt. So it was like a Saturday. I was like, let's do this. I I was on Stripe, gave him the info and booked the call for Monday for our launch on Tuesday, thinking he'd tweak a few little things. We proceeded to do an hour-long call with Chris, who, by the way, awesome guy, really good talk where he ripped our product to shreds on how it should be positioned on product hunt. And it was amazing feedback, but it was some tough feedback. And we went from thinking we were going to launch in 24 to 48 hours to we're actually redoing an entire page specifically for a product hunt launch. But Jonathan, you were on that call. What was your takeaway from getting his feedback? Yeah, so I was on that call listening in from a hospital. I remember sitting there and not being able to respond. And it was really painful to get some of that feedback from him, which obviously is a very trusted source. But I think the big takeaway is that we don't have a product. We have a service, a productized service, but it's not a product. And Product Hunt, as the name suggests, is a place where you hunt products. So that's uh, that, that was the biggest takeaway for me and how we need to reposition and rethink our offering so it feels and looks like a product. And I actually think we have those components and we've been working on that over the since that call pretty much trying to nail down that look and feel. So someone gets the impression that this is not just a bunch of people delivering on designs and dev, but there's actually like some IP in the middle that kind of helps someone see it as, as a product. Um, the other big issue is the pricing is tell. Our pricing starts at $12.99 for the first offer, the easiest, the entry-level offer. And that was too high. He didn't, he didn't see the value in that. He, he immediately started begin. He started comparing us with other options on Fiverr or Upwork where you can get someone to work on this for a few hours and you know, spit out a design. So I also think Chris is not our persona. He's not, he's not our, our, our customer. So I took his feedback with a pinch of salt, even though I, I, I knew it was valuable. But yeah, these are, these are the things that we've been wrestling with ever since we had that call. And it, it also made me question if our persona, our right type, the type of person who would pay 8K a month on an ongoing basis for design and dev is really on product hunt. It feels like it's a completely different audience there. And it, we, it makes sense for us to work on an offering for that audience that's very different from our core offering. So we at least get that audience onto one day design, you know, testing us so we could potentially convert them. But even then, I feel like we may have challenges and it made me rethink the entire product hunt to launch as, as, you know, the value of that as a whole. Yeah, it was it was it was so obvious too. It's like product hunt is for products. You need to productize this even more. And I do think it'll be fun to still launch on it and, and get it out there and get the feedback. But I agree, the ideal persona probably isn't there, which also makes us figure out like who is that ideal ideal persona and, and where do they live. But but I'm glad we did it and I want to continue to do that. The other piece of feedback that I'm getting that's interesting is people, this is just two, so it's 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 just maybe it's noise, but people are like, yeah, one day that's great, but I don't care about speed as much as I want a site that's gonna convert. And I've heard that from multiple sources and that is like one of our big benefits is our CRO agency that's doing this, but obviously we're not CRO design, we're one day design. So I don't yeah. think we need a new URL or anything, but that that's interesting feedback that I'm keeping an eye on. Yeah. And I know there are a few other sales calls scheduled. So be interesting if that thing continues to pop up. On the ones we've converted, that obviously hasn't been an issue. They've been more interested in the design, the aesthetics. Uh, they already had an ugly looking site. So when we presented even our first draft, they were really amazed, uh, both at the speed and the quality. So it was a really 
like our offering gives us an opportunity to make a killer first impression. Um, send them the first design in 24 hours. They show we have it next, right next to the before, and it's just a no-brainer that we've pulled something off that's pretty nice. So yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 pretty cool that it, we're delivering on it. We seem to figure out how the heck we position what we do and who's the ideal customer. All right, yeah. Jonathan, to wrap up one day design, what are your predictions for when we talk next month? You know, it's crazy. I actually didn't know we'd reached over $30,000. So that was a bit of a surprise to me. And it's it's good. And I can't believe I said 30,000 back then. And now obviously in total, we're, we're past that, maybe even closer to 40,000 now. So that's that's amazing and good news. The next big step for us is really nailing down based on the customers we've closed so far. What is that persona? And how do we get more of those? And I think once we do that, I mean, there's nothing stopping us. I mean, I'm not, I can't do the math top of mind, but like, take our, our, our largest offering, like between five and, 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 and 8K, we don't have to close a lot of clients. It's, 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 it's a few clients gets us over that 1 million mark. And uh, I think it's very doable. That's the best part about one day design is that our, our average order value is so high. The lifetime value on the, the offer is potentially very high as well. And we can make a killing with it. That's what excites me. Yeah, I'm frustrated. We're we're going to argue in public right now. People can see what we're really like behind the scenes, but I don't think we're going fast enough. And one of the issues is we have this other thing called growth hit we have to focus on. But I was kind of thinking about it the other day. I was like, what if all of a sudden someone ripped away growth hit from us and we had to use one day design to survive? Where would it be right now if that's all we could do and all we could focus on? Is the growth prospect for one day design better? What if we burn the boats and did that? That's the wrong move for for a bunch of reasons. But I was kind of going through that because you and I are barely finding time to squeeze in for this. And it's still getting some traction. Like, why why are we going faster, Jonathan? What's, what's What's the issue there? How do we go faster? Why don't we just invest and fire ourselves from growth that let people smarter than us trying to go all in on this, or should we hire people to go all in on one day design? Yeah. If we were talking to a VC and we had a product that without any marketing within the first 90 days had crossed $30,000 and the responses from clients was as as good as it is, I think uh, they would say, this is an amazing product that definitely has traction. There's some sort of product market fit there. So that's good news to me. It's like, we haven't put in any effort. As you're saying, growth, it sucks up a lot of our time. Yet the thing is growing. It's the reception from clients is is very positive. So imagine when we find that persona that converts easily with us and we actually put in some marketing effort and dollars behind it. I mean, there's no telling. And again, as I said, we don't have to close a lot of clients to cross, to cross the $1 million mark, which obviously makes us very different from Handsome Chaos, which <laughs> just a quick reminder. So that's the part I love about it. It's like the, the the bar for success is quite low and we haven't put any effort into it and we've come a long way in a short period of time. So with effort and time and attention, it's there's no telling where we can take this. What what if we found an operator, a GM or even a CEO to come in and run it? And we're like, hey, unleash, go and use our agency to do it. I mean, should this yeah. be a public service announcement to, hey, apply to be CEO of One Day Design. Is, is that the right move? Actually, I think it is the right move. Not necessarily because you hire the person, but whoever tries to get that job will give you some good ideas and pitch themselves well. And you and, and that'll give you a good way to crowdsource insights from the listeners here. So I think it's worth doing. 
All right, we'll do a giveaway. We'll we'll give away a part of the company. You can be CEO, but I don't know. Maybe people need to write a doc like Amazon. Or how about if you bring us 10 clients, you are the CEO paying clients. Anyway, that, yeah, that's fun. $8,000 a month clients, by the way. <laughs> that's, yeah, then, then we hit the million dollar challenge, right? We, we hit the million dollar. Yeah, absolutely. A month. Yeah, okay. absolutely. All right, cool. I'll put up a billboard in my neighborhood or some flyers and we'll see what happens. Okay, let's talk Handsome Chaos. I have good news on Handsome Chaos. So Handsome Chaos is a direct-to-consumer brand. We're inventing a category. It's from the book, The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing, Chapter 2, Category Creation, something that Jonathan cares deeply about. Dry shampoo, dry pomade, four men with, with long hair. And dude, after 14 iterations, 13 months... And so much painful back and forth. We have a product that is amazing, that is better than anything that we're using out there. I can say that is the biggest critic because I would get a sample, I'd immediately touch it or put my hand, I'd, throw, I'd be like so mad and throw it away. I'm like, this is horrible. This thing is amazing. And so I've been using it now for a week. So we're about to make an order. So we'll probably write a check for five grand to buy this product. But here's the question I have, Jonathan do we put a cent to it? Because I was like, we don't need a scent. It doesn't matter. But then my wife was like, actually, I love this one product. It has this clean smell to where when you use it, it gives you that clean feeling. The whole value prop of this product is you have oily hair. You want to style it, but maybe it's that second day where you haven't taken a shower. You don't have time. You style it. It dries it. It looks clean. But what if it has that fragrance where it smells clean as well? So... I don't know, Absolutely. man. Do we, yeah, pay, actually, do we pay 1500 bucks for a cent? $1,500. Absolutely. I think you should. If you've, I remember reading about the genius marketing behind Febreze and even toothpaste and how they would add that fresh scent that made you feel like the product was working. It could or it could not be working, but just the scent that after, like that reward after you've used the product gave people enough incentive to continue using it. So if that's the use case of using the product like a day after you've taken a shower or something like that, then I think it's definitely worth adding in. It'll pay off for sure. Well, we can have our own custom scent if we pay significantly more. Do we want our own custom scent? Or are you cool with the off-the-shelf clean scent? I would say, unless you have a very creative, cool name for that, like custom <laughs> scent, like the Jim Hoffman scent or something like that, <laughs> might as well go with that. With the shelf option. So here's the issue though. The scent pushes us back like a month, which we don't have a date for wanting to launch this. I, but I do think time is the enemy and I'm all about speed. And I also like, I am conflicted. I have this bias towards the lean startup principle move fast, get the MVP out. But when it's a physical product and not a landing page, I have to rethink that. I'm like, we need to deliver on what we're going to say we're going to do, but is the scent a must have or nice to have. I think you can do it in phases. You can you can have your cake and eat it too. You can launch with what you have right now with the the current version without the scent. See how people respond to it. If the if the the reviews are amazing and you know even the that idea never comes up, maybe you can park it. Or if you're brave, you can you know make an order for this and also the other one, which won't be available for another month, and and go with that. But I think it's it's you can test both. Go live with what you have. Learn from the market. And then make iterations in the future. Add that to the product roadmap at the very least. Yeah. Keith Ravoy, <laughs> who's like of PayPal mafia fame and just like a painfully smart guy, he he's kind of contrarian to the lean startup where it's like, no, it's, if you have 
like the data to show this is going to work and do it the right way, raise money even before you launch. And he's done that well with like open store and a million different things. So I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards the scent to get it right. Cause I, I think first impression with this is big and I want to get a good swing at it. But, uh, but anyway, I've never thought I've talked this long about a scent or not, but, but we have, and that's uh, the, the, the life we've created for ourselves. Oh, and check this out. We have the packaging right here. Do you see that? And that's cool. Yes, I do. Whew. That's actually very nice. Yeah. That, that stands out. Yeah. That, that would look very good at the, you know, one of those premium shelves at Whole Foods. It doesn't look like, you know, generic, you know, big brand. Yeah. If we were really smart though, we would have done like a different type of container that really catches the eye. But for this version, it's about cost. I'd rather invest in this special ingredient that took us four months than a fancy container. But maybe down the road, we'll, we'll do some like fancy vessel. But yeah, so Handsome Chaos has made zero money and we might be spending more on it for a cent. And good Lord, I hope it launches in Q3. If not, I might jump out of a window. But that that's the update on $3 million challenge. What else do we have? Any, anything you want to add? I think I'm very excited about what's coming up with One Day Design and how it's impacting growth it as well. It's made us rethink some of the operational decisions we used to make in the past. So the the impact of One Day Design is not just being felt on One Day Design. It's having you know impact everywhere everywhere else. But yeah, I think for sure One Day Design is going to be the first to cross the one million mark, and be the second entity under you know our studio that has that. So excited to see what happens. Yeah, I can't wait till we can do the three billion dollar challenge. But that might take quite a while. But we'll stick with the three million dollar challenge. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about either startup ideas you've seen that have caught your attention or even trends that you're seeing that have got your attention. I, I can kick this off, but yeah. have you heard of the silver tsunami? No, I have not. That sounds cool. <laughs> it's talking about the trend of, of like baby boomers and them aging, right? Oh, yeah, kind yeah. Of going past yeah. 65 and, and what that's going to do to the economy and what that's going to do for businesses. So every day, 10,000 people are basically aging into 65 and above. It's at an insanely rapid rate. And so that there's a lot of stuff happening that is could be really tough, but there's also a lot of business opportunities happening. So what does that mean? It means senior assisted living, just capacity is overwhelmed and it's overflowing. Like we have a, an amazing family friend that's that's in their 80s where we're, we're having to find the right facility for them. And it is really hard. It's really expensive and it's limited supply and it's even waitlist. And so you, you have that going on. So the big question is, you know, the supply and demand, you know, Delta is happening. That's going to be huge what opportunities will arise to to service that right so one is you know if there's not enough actual facilities those are need to be like huge like investments in real estate and assisted senior living another thing is will there be like an airbnb for this where it's you know people that have locations that they can use for this reason maybe it's not full time but it's temporary Will there be more concierge services that pop up where you can serve people in their home? And also, it's even just stressful for family members to find help for their loved one. It's will there be more, you know, consultation services that that pop up for that? But I think 
that's just the the tip of the iceberg. Not to mention a lot of these people that are that are aging, they have amazing businesses and their kids don't want to take them over. There's going to be this huge demand of really good businesses that that one could acquire. But there's so many things happening there that it, it's just interesting to see what could arise from it. But I don't know if you have any thoughts or comments on it. Yeah, absolutely. I have quite a few comments, actually. When it comes to senior care as a whole, there's this very interesting company called Papa.com, funded by I think Andreessen Horowitz as well. And they've taken the angle of going where like in the past, in-home care was provided by CNAs. They're shifting it to PALs. So essentially you have a PAL, and even just the labeling of it as a PALs, someone who's informally coming in, making sure you're taking your medication, driving you to the store, to your bank or whatnot. I think mean, that's an interesting company to watch in the space. They've raised a ton of money, but yeah, that's that's a big one. What's also been very interesting recently, I think this is the first year in history where millennials are buying more cars than baby boomers. So now the millennials are responsible for most of the car purchases, at least in the United States. And what this means, I think, is us millennials and even Gen Z are really are we have zero tolerance for poor service and poor just poor experiences. And car dealerships, everyone hates car dealerships. I think it's it ranks even lower than visiting the dentist, if I'm not mistaken. And essentially, the process of buying cars is suddenly shifting online. Everything from buying and even servicing. Uh, obviously, if you know anything about you know the de- the dealership setup, it's like they they have very strong lobbying that prevents car companies from from working around them. Tesla kind of navigated this by instead of calling it a dealership, a gallery where you can't necessarily buy, but you go and you experience the product, but you'd still buy online. So expect to see that fewer car dealerships. If there are any, they will soon begin to transform into more of essentially a place to go get your car serviced rather than buy. Experience the car, but you still go home and buy it online. But I think that's going to be one of the bigger trends moving forward for sure. I cannot, I hate having to go to the dealership. I hate having to like service my car. I hate owning a car, to be honest. I It'll be interesting to see what happens there. What, what do you have as far as interesting things that you've seen? What's been fascinating to me is you always like to talk about category creation. I've been fascinated with like category reinvention. So take, you know, very stale, very commoditized products. Take Rubbermaid, for example. They just make coolers and drinkware and, you know, outdoor stuff. And this company called Yeti comes in and they've created a essentially a cult following that they built a brand around being outdoors, being free and outdoors. And this is an interesting thing I'm noticing where many consumer companies, at least the smart ones, are creating collectibles. So they have these, you know, these like fans of the product. They don't just buy one for use, but they buy 10 in every single color combination so that they can keep it at home, brag to their friends that they have every you know, every type. And those products tend to sell more in the secondary market. So it kind of lifts the value of the brand. Luxury companies kind of cracked this in the past, but now it's coming down market with, with all these other like consumer brands. So that's been fascinating. Crocs is kind of taking the similar model now where they have these insane fans who just continue to collect their products. And the sec- the secondary market for Crocs is, is crazy. It's, it's almost Jordan's now, which is nuts. So that's been fascinating to me, but I've also been in a few interesting like purple cows. I know Seth Godin kind of coined that, but it's like these companies that are are very different in their space. And one that stands out to me is BrewDog. BrewDog is a UK-based craft beer company. By the way, if you're looking for a business book, their author, I'm sorry, the founder was a billionaire, if I'm not mistaken, uh, wrote a book called Business for Punks. They what they do is guerrilla marketing at its best. They they wanted to create a a beer called Elvis, 
and they got sued by the Elvis estate. So what these geniuses did is they named themselves Elvis. They went into the, the local government office and they renamed themselves. So they would have the permission to name the beer after themselves. And I think like, this, this like very guerrilla on the ground type marketing is, is very fascinating to watch. Another one that's been a little interesting, which is completely unrelated and even crazy is the cartels have started relaunching cocaine as pink cocaine. And the reason being they're trying to appeal to like these newer, like essentially new users. And funny thing is they've created an entire genre of music. And the whole point of that genre of music is to help you hallucinate more, but it's also associated with, 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 with the drug. And it's, it's just crazy. When, when I, when I saw that, I was like, wow, like ignoring the cocaine part, where else can you take that same idea and kind of reinvent a pre, an old stale category and make it interesting to people. And what they're doing actually is they're using food coloring. So it's not anything dramatic, but it makes it more appealing. That it has a taste that it even like smells like cake apparently. So it doesn't feel and come across as, as intimidating, but these well, are like hold on. The where, observations. Where are you getting information about the, the marketing strategy from the cartel? Like, how do I get that white paper? And I, I have yeah. so many questions. Also, these musicians like, how are they getting their notes from the cartel? Hey, make this beat, do this for hallucination, here's money, or make this beat, or we're going to kill you. Like, how does that negotiation work? Tell By the way, my sources on this are Vice Media, and they <laughs> they risk their lives to go there and speak with the cartel and document all of this. I'm taking full advantage of it. But it's it's an interesting craze that's suddenly coming to the US and in Europe, but Ignoring the cocaine part, it makes you wonder what else can you do in other categories. Same thing with Yeti and the, you know, the, uh, the cooler and the drinkables, reinventing it, making a collectible item for people. I think these are all very fascinating things, but yeah. Yeah. And the interesting thing about Yeti, I remember being in New York, like going to the beach and someone had a Yeti cooler and it was almost a status symbol. Cause you're like, you pay absolutely that much for a cooler, but it's like, yeah, oh, my drinks have been cold for five days in there, you know, and it's, it's so durable and it, it looks cool, but it's also a cooler, but I see people wearing Yeti hats and Yeti swag. And I, yeah. there, there's so many brands that have made things that aren't sexy, cool, like superhuman for email, what's more boring than email. And it, it's definitely, yeah. I still have my superhuman email signature, honestly, because it's kind of a status thing. Oh, like so many people, but, oh, you superhuman. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about doing it. That's cool. And it's, it's, it's really funny. Like you and I kind of did that as a social experiment, like just have the yeah. superhuman yeah. email signature exposed, but we should do a whole podcast where it's like, the boring categories that you could make cool or sexy, yeah, right? Like yeah. what those could be. Absolutely. What are the commodities in your life that you currently don't care much about? But if it had a brand, a different look and feel, a personality, it could be a big thing. It's a big category. It's just that, you know, it's been the companies in that space have been racing to the bottom, commoditizing it for the last, you know, however long. So I think that's definitely worth doing as an exercise. Nice. Okay. I got two for you. I spoke with the CEO of Privy, who's super impressive guy. And I was trying to like get all his secrets on how he grew in the launch strategy. And he was honestly, he's like distribution first. He's like the best thing we did was get in the Shopify app store and just, we were relentless about being number one there, being good partners. And if you have a Shopify store and you're a small business and you don't know about Privy, you don't know about Shopify. And so I was asking him, what's the Shopify store of today, right? Where, where do you go? And he called out two things. One I knew of, but one I didn't. Obviously, Slack. It's like 
Slack is Slack is opening up their marketplace. Like, what what are the apps that you could do within there? And we obviously are power users of Slack. And there's a lot of integrations we're already doing with Stripe and Calendly and Asana that are working. But what's like a a custom product where it could be distribution first for Slack? But then he said another one that really got my wheels spinning. Five months ago, Stripe opened up their marketplace to have apps there. And as we're using Stripe for one day design, it's got my my wheels spinning. What will be the top like Stripe first product for their marketplace? And what could that be? And so it's something I don't have answers, but one of these weekends, if the kids actually take a nap, I want to do a deep dive on both of those marketplaces to uncover where the demand is, where the needs are being met. But I think there's something interesting there because they say first-time founders think of product, focus on products, second-time founders focus on distribution. And that's something that I, I want to keep reminding myself of. But that 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 really got my attention. Ooh, that's actually very good. And the third one I actually heard is Figma. Figma has mm. plugins and, and things like that as well. One. That's a huge one. And they're they're growing very fast. So yeah, I think that's definitely worth the exercise. You know, Slack is actually, if you think about Slack as quote unquote, almost a new email, can you imagine how many companies have been launched and grown on the back of Gmail as being, you know, plug and extensions and things like that? So it totally makes sense that Slack would be next thing. Yeah. And the thing with these platforms is being first matters and like cornering and being the, the go-to because you accumulate all the reviews and the positive feedback and all that other stuff. So, I mean, the first mover definitely matters and, you know, the sooner we can come up with an idea that the sooner we can add it to our $3 million challenge or even the studio or something like that. Who knows? Okay. I have the idea. I'll go ahead and say on the podcast, if someone makes it, just throw us some equity. We'll build you a landing page in a day for for free for the equity. So we are a remote first company on Slack. I want a remote first HR service on Slack that tells me a few things. I want to know my summary of hours. I want to know you know, milestones. Hey, so-and-so, their one-year anniversary is coming up. Their birthday's coming up. It's, oh, here's the review. Here's the bonus. Because there's a lot of great HR software out there, but I want it built into my workflow and built into Slack. Because if you think about it, Slack is our office. Slack is our lobby. It is our conference rooms. And it's kind of like that, that office HR admin. And by the way, this might already exist. But I know HR software is integrated with Slack, but I want an HR software built on it. So anyway, it's half-baked. Let me see if that's a good idea or not. But that's where- No, I'm that's actually at. a very good idea. You might need to limit the scope of it because it's it sounds very wide and vast, but there could be like a critical piece that needs to be built that makes everything else possible. But I think that definitely has legs. So it has to be looked into for sure. I don't think Slack would have done a better job of pitching their you know their services, you know, conference room and office and all that stuff. You That sounded pretty cool. Yeah, they need to give me a, uh, they should sponsor this podcast. Absolutely. After that. Okay. The last thing that I have, I read a blog post by Nathan Barry called the billion creator, the billionaire creators, and basically how to build a billion dollar company on the back of content. And I was like, oh, I kind of already understand this philosophy. I'm not going to read it, but I went down the blog post. I was like, there's some gold in this article. And I'll hit on some examples that he talked about, but it it really got me thinking as we're making content, what you can do and turn that into an actual business. Because the old way of thinking is you make content and you monetize it from advertising. The innovative way to think about it is you create content, you build an audience, and you monetize it with products, with technology, with software. And you know, 
And one example is, you know, Emily Wise, she was working at Vogue. And yeah. She was just a, Bless her, a blogger yeah. and she built up this huge <clears throat> following and she started talking to makeup artists in their bathroom on the products they use. And then her blog into the gloss blew up. And now she has Glossier that's valued at 1.2 billion, but she built the audience there first. I mean, Nathan Berry is an example. He started really as a content creator first. And as a creator, he started to scratch his own inch with ConvertKit, which now does... 30 million a year and is valued at over 100 million, that could be a billion dollar company. Have you seen the Missouri Star Quilt Company? Do you know about this company? No, I do this, not. This lady that lived in California, you know, COVID hits, they moved to Missouri. She's trying to find a job. She just quilts. She makes these YouTube videos on quilting and it's like very like therapeutic. People love it. She blows up on YouTube. She then creates a store. They call it the Disneyland of quilting. She does $40 million a year selling quilts, but it all was built on the back of, of YouTube, right? And then you've got wow. Ju Justin Jackson, who is a big blogger, got into podcasting. Instead of selling e-courses on podcasting, he makes Transistor, which we're using today for podcasts. And, and that thing's blowing up. Obviously, you have Dr. Dre, what he did with Beats by Dre. But he he put some interesting prompts at the end. It's like, James Clear, what are you doing Like for making yeah. a product? Like He should make the, the calm for habits was his idea. Or someone like Ben Thompson of Stratechery, what he's doing. I mean, he even kind of called out Ramit Sethi. Like, Ramit's got an amazing business. He does, I will teach you to be reached really good and, you know, financial literacy. Should he be making the modern day mint or something? But because we're making content around growth and startups, what are we doing that's ho hopefully one day design and handsome chaos is, is us doing that? But it, anyway, is a, a really good read on how to think through turning content into audience creation for your product. Yeah, and by the way, that Missouri Growth Company is a perfect example of a commodity that has been converted into reinventing the category, essentially. Like, she's taking her own spin on it. It definitely has a story, followers that come from YouTube. So that is actually, that's a perfect example of what we were discussing earlier. Yeah, no, that one's good. Okay, how, how do we think this segment went? What, what, what was the highlight? Other than the, the pink cocaine, that obviously won the fact that you have insights from the car cartel. But what, what do we think? I think the Nathan Berry article is actually very impressive. And there are a few other examples I was thinking of that just aren't coming to mind right away of, of, of entrepreneurs that have made that leap. But that's definitely a model to follow. The only downside is just the time you've spent you know, investing in building your brand as a person to potentially then morph it into a product to seed your product. But yeah, that's that's the only downside to that approach, but I totally see the value in it for sure. Yeah, I don't think we can say his name yet, but we have one client that's doing the new client that's yeah. doing that very well. That we need to get him on the podcast because he's he's I think he's going to lay in that plane with his new D 2 C product really well. But but time will tell. Yeah. Absolutely, and we have to help him grow it. So the pressure's on us, I guess. At the end of the day, <laughs> oh crap. <laughs> Yeah. Well, cool. Well, Jonathan, a good chat as always, man. Awesome. Thank you very much, Jim. Enjoyed it. Oh, and by the way, our fight was horrible. We need to have a better fight in public and being confrontational so people can really see the, the dark side of our relationship and what really goes down. But we'll, we'll work on that next time. I didn't even know we we're having a fight to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a really toxic relationship. Okay. See you, man. Awesome. Thank you, Jim.
Today's episode is brought to you by no one. Yep, we have zero sponsors. I haven't reached out to any companies, nor would I expect a reputable brand to give me money. But I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman.